Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. For a little while, to have a a title to hang our hat on or to be able to find this maybe days later, I've summed up this lesson in in this title or phrase. He became so we could become. He became so we could become. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, I love you. Oh, I appreciate you, Lord Jesus, today. God, I'm grateful for your faithfulness unto us. And I pray, God, in some way that we, Lord, reciprocate, Lord, faithfulness unto you. I know, Lord, we could never, Lord, totally repay it. We are in debt to you, God, but help us, O Lord Jesus, not grow slack in our efforts, God, in endeavoring to do so. I pray, O Lord, touch our minds and our hearts as we look anew and afresh, God, at the word of the Lord. Let it stand up and arise in our lives. Help us to take notice of its truths, God, and we'll praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. He, speaking of the Lord, he became so we could, so that we could become. Uh, Starting here this evening, I wanted to piggyback just a little bit on, and uh, that might be one of the difficulties perhaps uh, with this series in John. Sometimes you teach series and each lesson alone can be a good standalone lesson, but there's other series that you teach uh, that the lessons may have some overlapping with other lessons and Uh, That will more than likely be the case here with the Gospel of John. But there is an aspect here uh, where verse number 10 that I read to you, he was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not, that it goes back to a certain degree and parallels uh, verse number 5, how the Scripture talked about, and we talked about last week, uh, the Word, the life, and the light, how the light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it and here we have him coming into the world who was that light and the world made by him and they knew him not this true light shining into a world that did not know him or realize him or perhaps even understand him and we may even start to think a little bit and and some questions may start coming to our mind that how how does creation not know its creator How does creation not know its creator? Or how, as we look a little more specifically in verse 11, how he came to his own and his own received him not, how how did the Jewish people, uh, Jesus' own people, not receive him whenever he was one of them or they were just like him, they were Jewish people? Well, I think that we could submit tonight this with those questions, and that is this, that knowing him knowing the Lord, knowing the true light, goes deeper than just having a knowledge of him. It goes deeper than just, even for that sake, uh, goes deeper than just acknowledging him. 
The Bible says in the New Testament of Titus chapter number one and verse number 16. The Bible says here's this is Paul uh, speaking, of course, to Titus. He had left Titus at Crete. He wanted uh, Titus to put all things in order on the island of Crete. And so he says in verse 16, they and the they that he is referring to are the Cretans then that uh, that Titus was left there in the Cretan island. So he was over the Cretans. They the Cretans and, and, and something important to note about the Cretans that the scripture says itself in verse number 12 that the Cretans were known to be liars, evil beast and slow bellies. That's quite a terminology, isn't it? Slow bellies. And so this is the characterization of the Christian people. They, these type of people, profess that they know God. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Amen. That's what the scripture says. Uh, scholar Craig Keener said, he said, to know the Lord was to obey his ways. And so it's more than just a mental knowledge, but also an obedience to that knowledge that we have. And so when we read in the scripture that he came to his own and they didn't receive him, or uh, he, he, he came as that light that was shining unto uh, the people, the true light into the world, a world that was made by him, yet they didn't know him. We see then this rejection again of the light, this rejection of Jesus and this rejection and we may have made mention of this perhaps last week but this rejection of Jesus follows him throughout his public ministry it follows him all the way to Calvary and in reality this this rejection of the Lord was in many ways a catalyst to bring about the crucifix that we have on Mount Calvary it, it culminates there it comes to a finality in an end there at Calvary and so John in the process of writing this gospel though John tends to pluck out some positive aspects of the crucified Christ he plucks out some positive aspects of the crucified Christ and maybe more plainly uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ being that the the death burial and the resurrection of the Lord brought about a lot of belief and confirmed belief the belief of many of of the belief that they had in the Lord it confirmed some and it also initiated some other new believers as a result of the death burial and resurrection as a matter of fact if you flip over to John chapter number 20 within that chapter alone uh, is spoken of the belief of Peter and John whenever they came to the empty tomb and entered on in and seeing uh, the napkin wrapped together by itself and the grave clothes there, uh, the belief that came upon them. Mary, as she was at the tomb as well, her belief. Thomas, uh, feeling the Lord after his resurrection, the nail prints and the spear that had punctured his side, the belief, having seen and touched the belief that came upon him. So as horrible, and it was horrible, and it was devastating, as horrible as the crucifix, and the death of the Lord was, and as horrible as the rejection of Christ was, even through his public ministry leading up to Calvary, uh, the positive aspect that we can glean from this that John shares with us is at least there was a spawning of new believers from all of this, if not even a confirmation 
of belief for some who were already believed believe but maybe become a little doubtful their faith grew a little weak whenever the lord was crucified because uh, many even didn't believe the third day but you know that that this rising aspect was was going to take place but uh the lord's resurrection and all of that although having been greatly rejected it was confirmed and it spawned some new belief and so with this so on one hand we have the scripture John is relaying to us people that rejected the light people that rejected the Lord uh, they didn't know him they didn't realize him probably in many instances did not understand him the Bible speaks that they did uses this terminology they did not receive him but we read then in verse number 12 there is this contrast it says but on the other hand there would be people that would receive him. There would be people that would believe him. The Bible says in verse 12, but as many as received him. In other words, people were rejecting the light, but there were others who were receiving the light. There were others who were receiving this life or this word, amen, that had come from God and manifested itself in flesh. And as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Uh, it's awesome here because it doesn't give us a certain sector of society. Just whoever received him, as many as received him. It didn't matter their race or their nationality. It didn't matter if they were Jewish or not Jewish. As many as received him, to them gave he power, uh, which the word power there actually means he gave authority. He gave right. He gave privilege to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name again the twisting in of the purpose of this fourth gospel so we learn from verse number 12 a little bit that in part in part to receive the lord in part is to believe on his name and to believe on his name goes beyond just having a faith or a confidence in the name jesus christ because we know from Old Testament scripture, we know from the word of God that a person's name was very significant. And a person's name was very important in the scripture. A name uh, was an individual's nature. It was the characterization of the person, of who they were. And so it's important to denote that a person's name in biblical times and culture encompassed them the nature and the identity of the person. And so to believe on the name, again, was more than just a faith in, in, in you know, uh, three words or, or, or two words that consisted of a person's name. No, it was to believe, it was to have a trust and a committal, if you will, to the nature of the individual, to the characterization of the individual. We've already looked in Scripture how belief goes beyond just a faith, but it is that trust and that committal, that commitment to God that's conjoined, as some of the lexicons even say, conjoined with obedience. And so faith in and obedience to the name. If I may break it down just a little bit. Faith in and obedience to the nature and characterization of Jesus Christ helps aid and enable our transformation, amen, to become sons of God, children of God. In the late second century, our Judah 
insisted that people of Israel are God's children when they obey as children should. Keener even emphasizes that becoming God's children entails receiving the divine nature or character of which Jesus is the perfect image. I want to hear just for a little bit, go to 2 Peter chapter number 1. It's not that long ago that we did a series on 2 Peter, but I want to bring some things back to our attention with this aspect of considering to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, according to... And some of you will remember these verses. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that have called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust he tells us by his divine power he has given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness and when the scripture says in verse 4 that by these it also encompasses those things that have been given to us by the divine power so that we might be partakers then not of just the divine power but partakers of the divine nature and so according to the word of the lord we are made partakers of the divine nature in part because of the divine power amen and so let me re-emphasize here again tonight that you have cheated yourself you've cheated yourself of his divine power if you reject his divine nature amen they he came to the world but the world did not receive him he came to the world but they did not know him you've cheated yourself of his divine power if you've rejected his nature who he is because his power is derived from who he is his power is derived from his nature his power is tied to his nature and all of that is summed up in his name the lord jesus christ amen and so when the scripture speaks then about us becoming the sons of god when we become sons of God, that, that's not becoming sons of God by a natural birth, of course. But that, that's important because that's something that Jesus, even in his dialogue with Nicodemus in John chapter number 3, was trying to relay to this great, great leader, uh, if you will, in the country, Nicodemus, that it's not by natural birth. He tells us here in 1 John that it was not by by the natural birth it was not by the will of the flesh it was not by the will of man but of God that's important it's of God John John here in the scripture I love this and we'll get to it when we get to chapter 3 but John is taking us on a quest because he starts right here in the first chapter and he's talking to us in no uncertain terms really uh, much about creation he's talking to us about how things were made by him without him was not anything made he's talking to us about light and about darkness and about seemingly the uh the one not comprehending the other if you will the separation of the two he's talking to us about creation but he's going to move from talking about the literal creation and then he's going to shift by the time we get to john 3 and he's already heading there now to talk to us about our personal new creation in Christ Jesus. And so twice, 
And we'll, we'll look at it more when we get there. But twice in John 3, Jesus explained to Nicodemus that he must be born again. The word again in John 3, in those two instances that is mentioned, it literally means from above. Nicodemus, you must be born again or you must be born from above. So Nicodemus, this is not a natural birth. This is a birth as, as verse number 12 in chapter 1 tells us or verse number 13. This is a birth that is of God. Amen. And it's made possible. It's made possible because of the divine, the divine God almighty. Amen. Partook of a human nature. The word was made flesh. The word that was in the beginning with God was God was made flesh. The divine took a human nature. Amen. Even that we see in verse 14 here in a little bit for this purpose. And this is what I hang my title on tonight. The divine came and took on human nature. So human nature could partake of the divine nature so that we might become sons and daughters of God to as many as received him. Amen. To them, he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on Amen. his name. And so Let's consider that John, that John 114 verse where the scripture says that and the word was made flesh. Folks, we can't talk about, we cannot, I say, okay, I, I can, we can, okay. I cannot talk about John 1 and John 14 without talking a little bit, amen, about this wonderful thing of God being manifest in the flesh. We, we, we cannot. That word, according to the scripture, which was in the beginning, which was with God, which was God, was made flesh. The word was made flesh according to the scripture we read of in the gospels by virtue of a virgin birth. He was made flesh by a virgin birth. The Bible says in Galatians 4 and 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. God sent forth for the son. And just because the scripture says that God sent forth his son. All right, we read of that. We read that also in John 3, 17, that God sent not his son into the world. Amen, just for this one purpose. But anyway, still there is this God sending his son in the world. Just because the scripture says that does not mean, amen, that Jesus Christ preexisted in bodily form with God. The Bible also says in John chapter number one and verse number six that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's speaking of John the Baptist, all right? But no one claims that John the Baptist preexisted in bodily form with God. Amen in the beginning. Amen. Someone being sent in the New Testament scripture is a language of commissioning, all right? As a matter of fact, the word apostles it, itself speaks of them being the sent ones or the sent messengers. Yeah, the, the word, the terminology sent is the, is the language of commissioning. God sent forth his son. He commissioned him, amen, for a purpose and a will. John the Baptist was sent by God. He was commissioned for a purpose and the will. So in the beginning, Jesus Christ existed as the word that we've already looked at in our introduction, the logos. He existed as the word. He 
Amen. He existed with God as the very will and thought and plan of God before the very foundation of the world. We looked at those scriptures of Revelation that spoke of him as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But a little bit further in John 1 and 1 where the Bible says that that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word with in the Greek is pros which means toward or facing. Some say then that there must be two somethings in order for them to be facing each other or toward each other. Amen. Well, that's one definition of the word pros in the Greek. There is another definition with this meaning. It means pertaining to. We see this, amen, used in Romans 15 and verse number 17. Paul is speaking and says, I have therefore, wherefore, I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to pros God. We see this language also used in the book of Hebrews as it talks about the high priest's robe. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 1, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to the Greek word pros, God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Jesus Christ was made the high priest that was with God, or if you will, pertaining to God. The word was with God in the beginning. Amen. Not in the sense, again, of being spatially with God, but as pertaining to God. Amen. I want to share something again. And uh, uh, anybody that goes to National Youth Convention, I'm telling you, if you've never went to one of Brother Lang's uh, uh, seminars in the mornings, you need to go. Amen. Brother Lang, in our seminars in the mornings before, has shared with us, we're talking about this, that God was manifested in the flesh. That one God was manifested in the flesh. That there was not no duality in the beginning of creation, of two persons in the beginning of creation. Uh, Brother Lang tells us in Genesis 1 and 1, and again, I'm not here to uh, thrill you with any Hebrew, but there is a word there used for God called Elohim. That is in the Hebrew language, plural. The im on there is a typically masculine plural whenever that is added to a word. And so we have in the beginning God, in the beginning created God, as the order would be in Hebrew, in the beginning created God. And so we have this Elohim, which shows a plural. So some people says, well, there it is, a plurality of gods. But according to the Hebrew language, Brother Mason is sitting right here and he correct me if I'm wrong. But according to the Hebrew language, plurality and singularity is determined by the verb, not the subject, not the noun. All right. And so the word bara, which is the word create, amen, created in Genesis chapter number one. In the Hebrew, the word bara, that verb is singular. So that means the Elohim we're talking about. One God. You can go then further down to verse number 26 where we read all these pronouns about and God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And you see these pronouns of us and our popping up. And again, the word for God in Genesis 1:26 in the Hebrew again is Elohim. But if you look at the verb that let us make the verb make Asa, I believe it is again is in the singular form and so we are not talking about a multiplicity of gods we are talking about one God and as brother Lang has started in NYC he says the verb never lies 
They may never come in agreement as far as uh, they may not always be in agreement. It says plural and plural, singular and singular. But whatever the, the verb is, is what it is, if it's singular or if it's plural. In these instances, the verb is singular in both accounts. We're talking about one God. Amen. And even in verse number 27 of Genesis chapter number one, it even brings clarity even in our English Bibles. Amen. To us when it says, so God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him male and female created he them amen and so we're talking about this great wonderful excellent God for that matter let's consider scripture interpreting scripture you won't get any better than scripture interpreting scripture first Timothy 3 and 6 the Bible says without controversy great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh it is that word that was made flesh that even John 1 14 is speaking about when you say that God was manifest in the flesh in the Greek and I'm not trying to throw a bunch of language at you tonight but these things I believe are important the word manifest means to cause to become visible to cause something to be fully known by revealing clearly in some detail God was made visible in the flesh in the man Christ Jesus God was fully known Known and revealed clearly in some detail in the flesh in the man Christ Jesus for our Bible says in John chapter number one in our scripture reading verse number 18 a little further down that no man has seen God at any time we see that over and over again in the Old Testament scripture no God no man had seen God at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he hath declared or literally he hath revealed him when we talk about the bosom of the father amen uh this is speaking then about a a place of honor in a literal sense being in the bosom would be a place of honor john our writer of the fourth gospel knows this better than any because he is the one that's described when they ate uh, at the last supper Amen. And Peter speaks to him, wanting to know who is it, Lord, that's going to betray you and all of this. And he motions to John the Beloved, who is up on the bosom of the Lord. Amen. At the table. So John knows that this is a place of honor. But our Greek lexicons tell us in this use in verse number 18, this isn't a per se literal setting, but it is a idiom meaning that there is something closely and intimately associated. Well, you better believe it is. Amen. Because God manifested himself in the flesh. Amen. That word was made flesh. I like the way that the Amplified says that this only begotten son declared him or revealed him. It says it like this. He has declared him. He has revealed him and brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him. He has made him known. Even the message Bible uh, doesn't do too bad. It says this one of a kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the father has made him plain as day. Amen. All, all of God that we will ever see is in the man. Christ Jesus. The Bible speaks to us in Colossians 1.15, and these are just for your reference, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 1 and 3 that the express, that Jesus is the express image, which is literally, he is the exact 
copy of God's person. Person meaning God's hidden or unseen essence. And so the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word was made flesh. God manifested himself in the flesh. And Jesus is the image of that invisible God. Jesus is the exact copy of the hidden and unseen essence of God. Amen. I love the Lord today. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, for years, I've known that the word dwelt in verse 14 means tabernacled. The word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. However, I never thought of this in the light of the actual birth scene and environment of the Lord Jesus Christ until I recently had heard it taught. The birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of the Messiah, we have it on our calendar, in the Gregorian calendar, we have it on December the 25th. Each year, December the 25th, people celebrate Christmas or celebrate the birth of the Savior. Now, I think probably most that have per se somewhat of understanding and knowledge knows that Jesus Christ was probably not born on December the 25th. Being number one, they weren't even using the Gregorian calendar at that time. Secondly, if he was born on a particular date like that, for the Jews, it would be moving and not always be on the same date in December. It would be much like Resurrection Sunday, much like Easter, it would switch. Sometimes it's in March, sometimes in April. It would, it would change from here to there because the Jews operate off a lunar calendar of 30 days, 30 days per month. There are some even schools of thought that believe perhaps Christ was born during Passover. There's another school of thought that says that Christ was born during the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, which is interesting because the Feast of Tabernacles uh, takes place for us on our calendar during the autumn months of September, October time frame. Also concerning the Feast of Tabernacles, something that is interesting is that during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would make these booths and in these booths, uh, Sukkos, as I believe, is that they would they would build, they would eat most, if not all of their meals there. Uh, they would sleep in them. And an interesting tidbit that I was taught is that even the animals were kept in these booths or these tabernacle, these tent structures. And so tabernacles is also among the feasts. Tabernacles, Pentecost, Passover is a pilgrimage feast. More in particular, it's a pilgrimage feast and so people are moving and going here and there so if you take that this is a movement a, a pilgrimage feast and you also take the account of scripture that uh, they were going to take a census of the people and they needed to go back to their homelands for the purpose of a census and taxation uh, if Jesus's birth took place during the feast of tabernacles when people were already moving so there's, there's the movement of the people for the feast. There's the movement of the people because of going back for the census and the taxation uh, concerning because of the decree of Rome. Then the manger scene that we oftentimes have around that time of year uh, with animals being present at the manger and within the scene of the manger could have easily been a booth 
of the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, the scripture says that there was no room for them in the inn. It was, it was full. And so the word, this could be, it's interesting that the word of John 1, 14, that the word was made flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, amen, was that that flesh actually tabernacled among us, or if you will, uh, during that moment in time of the Feast of Tabernacles, no place for them to stay. Their booth was made, and within their booth where they ate, slept, and often even kept their animals, the Christ, the Lord, the Messiah of the world, amen, literally tabernacled among us, amen, during that time. Not only that, again, I've known this word to mean tabernacle. There's something else that I believe that is important. The word dwelt, meaning tabernacle, is also interesting because as soon as it is stated that he dwelt among us or he tabernacled among us, then in our English Bibles, we have this parenthetical statement that talks about the glory. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. We have this statement about glory. That's interesting because the Old Testament idea of glory, that, that cloud or that presence that would appear between the, 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 the angels that were on the Ark of the Covenant, amen, many times is spoken of and mentioned, amen, in even outside of biblical resources of the Shekinah. You've heard people talk about the Shekinah glory of the Lord, which Shekinah literally means dwells that which dwells and so here is the Lord he tabernacles he dwells among us and people start to talk about the glory another reason why this is interesting because in the Old Testament time we read of the first tabernacle that was built the tabernacle of Moses and when the tabernacle of Moses was finished we read of in Exodus that that house was filled with glory when we read later concerning the temple of Solomon and that was constructed. The temple of Solomon, the Bible says to us in 1 Kings 8, you can also read of it in Chronicles, that the temple of Solomon was finished. And guess what happens? It was filled with glory. The Bible says that the glory of the Lord filled the place in so much so that the priest could not even stand to minister. So in each of these instances, the tabernacle comes, it's made it standing, it's complete, and then the glory fills the place. And here we have in John 1.14 that the word, amen, was made flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we have this phrase, and we beheld his glory. Even the angels... Even the angel of the Lord that went to visit the shepherds that were watching their sheep by night whenever Christ was born, they went and appeared unto the shepherds announcing the birth of Jesus. And as, they, as the angel was announcing the birth of Jesus, you can find this in Luke 2, the Bible says that a multitude of heavenly hosts came praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will toward men. Isn't that fantastic? John relates to when he tabernacled among us, goes on, they say, we beheld his glory. Every tabernacle, when it's been finished, when it's come into place, the glory was noted. No different whenever the Lord tabernacled, amen, among us. The glory was denoted. Even Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, Isaiah uh, not only prophesied about the witness of John the Baptist, or about his position and his place of being a forerunner of Jesus Christ or a herald of Jesus Christ. Isaiah also prophesied about the glory. Look at it, if you will, in Isaiah chapter number 40, verses 3 through 5. 
Isaiah says, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. This is prophetic, speaking of John the Baptist. You can read of this in John 1, 23, where John the Baptist even gives this omission himself. The voice is him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verse 4, every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Look at this verse number five here's Isaiah being prophetic and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it so Isaiah is not just speaking about John the Baptist being the forerunner amen those six months born prior to Christ amen make the path straight for the coming of the Lord but Jesus Christ God manifested in the flesh the glory was revealed through the man Christ Jesus the glory of God was made known through Christ Jesus Isaiah prophesied about it John's talking to us about it. It happened at Bethlehem's manger. Hallelujah. Concerning the fourth gospel, Warren Wiersbe, a Bible scholar, he said it like this, and I like what he said. He says, so in the fourth gospel, he says, we are not studying a book. He says, we're seeing a person. We beheld his glory. Hallelujah. Amen. So this is more than just a few sentences and pages that are strung together here. We are considering a person. Amen. God manifested in the flesh. The word made flesh. Amen. The man Christ Jesus. The one of a kind of glory. That's the way the message Bible puts it. The one of a kind of glory. Like father, like son. <laughs> Like father, like son. The Bible speaks of him, amen, as the only begotten son. The only begotten son. Which the root meaning is this. The one of a kind son. The unique son. Let me tell you, there is, there's, there is a varied levels in which uh, Jesus Christ is one of a kind or unique. But one of the ways in which Jesus Christ is one of a kind is for sure in the sense that he is the one person or image of God. Amen. One of a kind, not another. The Bible says in verse number 14 also, if I didn't read it again, I'm just going to skip over over the paraphrase here, or, or the parentheses rather. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. If you skip down now to verses 16 and 17, this, this word that was made flesh was full of grace and truth. Look now in verse 16. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace... For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It says, all of his fullness have all we received. Might I say more particularly, all we have received, particularly those who received him and became sons of God. This all of his fullness we have received. I see almost paralleling the scripture in Colossians in the epistles of Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Where the Bible speaking of Jesus Christ says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and, verse 10, ye are complete. <laughs> and ye are complete in him. 
So here comes Christ Jesus, full of grace and truth. And verse 16, of his fullness we have received. (laughs) Amen. We are complete in him. As a matter of fact, if you look at Colossians chapter 2, those verses 9 and 10, and you continue reading beyond verse number 10 in Colossians, the apostle Paul is going to go on talking about how not just the aspect of being complete in him, but perhaps the way in which we are complete in him, because we have been circumcised by a circumcision that is with out hands and he's referring to read the verses a circumcision without hands through being buried with Jesus Christ through our baptism amen and not just being buried with him through our baptism but being raised with him as he was raised from the dead Hallelujah. And so our being complete in him, if you will, having received the fullness of the grace and truth that he brought, amen, in essence, is tied to our new birth experience of being buried with him in baptism, which is the circumcision without hands, and being raised from the dead as he was raised from the dead. Our born-again experience, if you will, becoming sons of God, have then made us partakers of his fullness have made us partakers of that fullness of grace and truth which he is and to distinguish this the Bible says John brings to us that Moses only provided the law or Moses only provided the truth if I may but grace and truth is in Jesus Christ and see there, there is a weakness, and I, I'm, I'm hastening to a close. But there's a weakness in the law because the law just shows us what's wrong, what's incorrect, but can do nothing to correct what is incorrect. The law can only give us the standard, all right? And then by that standard and the measurement of it against ourselves and ourselves against it, we see where we are. But it cannot do anything if we are skewed from where we need to be concerning the law. Moses could only provide the law, but Christ not only gave us the law, he gave us the truth, the law, and, and grace. The Bible says in Romans 8, verses 3 and 4, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Here's though what God did. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So the law's weak. The law is weak through the, through the flesh. So God says, I got a remedy. I'm going to manifest myself in the flesh. Amen. As the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. And so for the purpose of sin, I'm going to take sin and I'm going to condemn that in my flesh. He took that to Calvary. He took the handwritings of the ordinances that were against us and nailed them to the tree. Look at verse number four. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. All right. So what the law could not do in us, Jesus let the law do in him. Amen. Because he was in all likenesses as you and I, yet he was tempted in all ways like you and I, yet he was without sin. But when Calvary came, he decided to become sin because of us. And so the law is weak. It could not accomplish us anything. But since he came and manifested himself in the flesh, amen, he took the likeness of sinful flesh. Why? So then now the righteousness of the law, amen, could be fulfilled in us. How? By his grace. 
by his grace because the spirit of God that you receive when you're born again of the water and the spirit, that spirit of God enables you to do what you could not do by yourself. That spirit of God enables you to walk and live like you could not live by yourself. In your flesh, it would not be accomplished. But thanks be to God, amen, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, taking the law upon him. Amen, keeping every iota of the law and also becoming sin. Amen, for humanity, allowing them the righteousness of the law in us. And it's because of his grace. It's because of his spirit who now walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, the Bible says. Did not Jesus Christ himself tell us in the Gospel of Matthew, and it'll probably be there for you on the screen, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, think not that I am come to destroy the law. Right? Not come to destroy it. I'm not come to abandon that truth. Not coming to destroy the law or the prophets. He says, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And his fulfillment, his fulfillment of the law allows us to be recipients of the righteousness of the law. And folks, that is a perfect working together of all that Jesus Christ was, grace and truth. Had he just come at truth, it would have been no different than the Old Testament law. We would have been incapable. But because of grace... Because of grace, as New Testament scripture says, we can now receive the love of the truth. Mm. Look here now. I'm closing. I really am. I'm closing. Brother and Sister Mason can come. Titus 2 and verse 11. Look at this. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. See, here's grace, right? Teaching us, verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Now, folks, those are a lot of things that the law would absolutely underscore, that the truth would absolutely endorse. But the grace of God that brings salvation has been a teacher, a helper to us in accomplishing what the law even expected of us. Because of his sacrifice, because of what he did, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. He became so that we could become. He became so that we could become. Thank the Lord that that word was manifested in the flesh, that we could feel him. It would be tangible that the work of Calvary could take place and blood would be provided through the flesh of a man. But the perfect lamb of God, he became so we could become. I'm going to pray right now before we go to song here this evening. I'm praying here tonight that if you have not received him, amen, you need to open up your heart and open up your life to the Lord. You need to open up your heart and your life to the Savior. That light is still shining in the darkness. That light is still shining in the darkness. Jesus may not be here still in his earthly ministry, but there came in that exchange in Scripture, even the book of John, that he said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But whatever he departed, you know what he did? He has ordained us. 
amen, to be witnesses of the light of the world. He said, ye are the light of the world. And I pray, sir or ma'am, if you've not received the Lord, and when I say receive, I'm talking about repenting, repenting of your sins. I'm talking about, as Colossians spoke, that being complete in him, the circumcision without him, being buried, baptized in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rising with him, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you've not received him, you need to receive him. Because as many as receive, as many even that believe and trust and put commitment and obedience with that, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So we stand at a crossroads here today. We can reject it. We can accept it. We can know him to the degree of not just having to acknowledge him, but know him intimately, be associated with him, or we can deny him. But know this, he came for all men, every race, every nationality, whatever your walk or lifestyle may be in life right now, he's come for all, for you to have a new birth experience that you would become a son and a daughter of God. Again, He became so that you and I could become. Hallelujah. Father, I come to you right now tonight. We need the power of your Spirit. We need the glory of the Lord. I pray, oh God, that you would infiltrate, Lord, every home, every family, every listener, viewer. Lord, tonight, let the power of your spirit and the Holy Ghost rest, God, upon them. I pray, oh Lord, if there is a longing in their heart, if there is a hunger in their soul, if there is a drawing, God, of your spirit upon them. I pray, oh God, that they would find you, Lord, in a place of repentance. They would find you in a place of repentance, oh Lord, crying out to God, Lord, that, that about face, that change of mind that influences and affects a change of behavior God that they would be buried in the wonderful name of baptism that the apostle said is for the remission of sins there is something that takes place in our baptism more than just a confession so to speak of faith there is a purpose there is something that is that is engaged Lord in the process of that and we have the promise Lord of the infilling of the Holy Ghost of speaking in other tongues as the spirit gives the utterance I pray, oh God, today, help us to latch on, Lord, the purpose of you coming was so that, God, we could reciprocate. You came, Lord, you became, Lord, in the form of a man, God, so that we could take upon ourselves the nature of God, oh, and the attributes of the one of heaven. I pray, oh God, tonight, minister to homes and families, that somebody, Lord, lift their voice, God, right now in their house, lift their hand right now in their house, and allow the sweet spirit of the Lord to touch them anew and afresh perhaps for the first time I pray oh God let your glory God feel Lord Jesus God their homes in the name of Jesus Christ we pray worship the Lord right now pray right now God can touch you right where you're at thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC again that's FACMC thank you and have a blessed day.